Hello and welcome to another episode of the Stelvio Chronicles. I'm Sean Smith. I'm joined by Christopher Strickland, Alistair Walker and Sam Green. Good morning, gentlemen. Hello. Morning. Everybody, morning. everybody is good. We are Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, so for those listening, we're recording on the eve of uh, Bicolos winning the Le Mans 24 hours virtually. Uh, after getting pole position yesterday. Just a, should we do a few uh, counter ones so you can edit it in? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we're recording on the eve of Bicolos catching fire at the virtual Grom, uh, virtual Le Mans. Uh, we're recording on the eve of Bicolos setting fire to a small town uh, <laughs> on the virtual Le Mans. Yeah, the town of Arnage, maybe. <laughs> yes. Um, or just the town where their drivers are living when their computers catch fire. Um, I think I think you mean... All at once. <laughs> just, just same because, time. Let me have my little victory. <laughs> they got pole position. <laughs> we have. Yeah, I'm, we've let you do that. Universal splitting open. <laughs> anyway, today on the Stever Chronicles, we're going to be discussing because of because of the events at the moment, our favourite Le Mans. Really, um, it just so happens though that they are they're all quite modern. So we're going to sort of also discuss what we think might be a, a golden decade of. Uh, endurance racing albeit there have been their 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 problems in that period as well but i'm sure we'll discuss that um first of all chaps favorite le mans year go uh 2015 to be honest i'd say a close one between 2011 and 2017 and i think possibly 2017 just because it is in my mind, a very classic Le Mans. And I would say 2011. Which uh, is, is good. So why, John? Because it was the best the, the best race ever. Because they actually... it was, it was was I've always called it the chase. Ever since. It was just edgy your seats. Watching... Uh, yeah, watching... Yeah, because watch, we watch, had a winning margin of, after 24 hours between the... Um, Audi of Lotter and the first of the Peugeots that was smaller than most F1 winning margins. Yeah. It's... It, it was also because the year before had set it up. So in 2010, which was the year that Audi fucked up. No, it wasn't. No, that, that, that was it was the year Peugeot fucked up. The year Peugeot up fucked up. exploded. Alright, no. Two years beforehand, it was the year that Audi fucked up. And um, they had the R15, which was the worst Le Mans car ever made. Um, I wouldn't go that I'm far. I'm sure I can find a worse one. It was one. the ugliest Le Mans car ever made. I, again, would not be so sure. <laughs> Have you seen some of the Bugattis from the 40s? Ah, but they're different. They all look the same. As we discussed in our other podcast <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> um, so, anyway, the Audi R15 was rubbish. But the R15 Plus, excellent car. Fantastic car, amazing car, and uh, the R10 should have finished fourth that year, but that's a different story. Um, 2011, everything was set up. We had the brand new Audi R18 turbo diesel, 3.7 litres, and Peugeot's 908, also 3.7 litres, the HDI, diesel power, as the Prodigy once said in their song. Um... And yeah, it was set up for a great race, and it was a great race, and it was made better by what happened a few hours into it. I'll discuss. Why, why was 11? I mean, um, 
McNish's huge crash when he got wiped out by the Ferraris. I think you mean when an Alan, well, Alan, Alan, Alan yeah, I think the moment when Alan McNish tried to kill some Ferraris as he as he as he enjoys. <laughs> I mean, it was weird at the time. They'd, those two cars seemed to have a magnetic attraction to each other, not just at Le Mans, but I seem to remember Inter Lagos and R18 and a Ferrari nearly wiped one another out. Mm-hmm. So, Is this the one where he went over the fence and nearly... He didn't quite some, go over uh, the fence. No, he went into the fence. Right. Because it was a weird statistic. Tires, they didn't even have a fence, if I remember rightly. He didn't have a fence, it was just... A small tire wall with a with a barrier on the other side. Yeah, and then there was journalists and photographers behind that. I think wasn't there? It was an yeah, incredibly I think there was behind that one though. It was yeah, an incredibly yeah. close miss, which was good. Um, yes, it was yeah. spectacular, and we thought, wow, that was a fucking huge crash. How great! There's no way that's going to happen again in this race. Oh wait, <laughs> nightfall falls, and uh, Mr. Rockefeller thinks, no, I can do better. I can do better than that. Does the same thing with it. Was that with another Ferrari as well? I don't know. It was in a different place. It was on the Mulsanne. Yeah. I think you remember. Uh, I don't think it was. was. So, was what year was it that. Um, was it Anthony Davidson hit a Ferrari in the Toyota? Yeah, that was. That was yes, yeah, so I think that was a few years later. Yeah. yeah that that was, was a big shunt. That broke, well. his, broke his back, that one. Yeah, yeah Ferrari 458s and prototypes weren't a good mix. No. Are you watching the replay there? I can hear it. I might be, yeah. Yeah, I just want to... Assuming it actually comes up as well. Anyway. This is not good podcast. No, no, Chris. You're you're not doing well there at all. (laughs) Anyway, the fact is, two of of the lead big three Audis crashed out within, like, not a long time. And the R18 was... It wasn't quite as... uh, it, well, basically, it wasn't the fast car. It wasn't the one that could push and be the fastest car on pace because Audi never really were. It was never their strategy, was it? Well, put it this way. The qualifying margins were closer than I think any other I've seen at Le Mans. So Audi were on pole by six hundredths of a second from themselves and then only a quarter of a second back was the Peugeots. Uh, I think you had one, two, three, four, five, six... Six cars within a second of each of each other, or within half a second, really. Yeah, half a second between the top six, and then you had the old the old Peugeot a few seconds back. Um, but what made it great then was that Peugeot, after the second crash, just went get it, go go get it, <laughs> um, and all four of them. So the yeah, they, they just went after. So the map, the three total works cars and the Orica, Matma car, just all gunned it after after the Audi. And what would happen is that they would keep sort of leapfrogging through the pit stops. Um, so Audi wouldn't be quite as quick, but they'd go a bit longer, and it would be sort of that. And it was just amazing to watch because you didn't have a clue who's going to win. Twenty three hours into the race. Yeah. And even better, the Persians didn't get, didn't blow up, which is what they did last year. Yes, where they were leading, and then the right-hand bank of cylinders went on every single Peugeot engine. Yep. Which was impressive. It was amazing. And heartbreaking. <laughs> it was hilarious, because I was an Audi fan that year. <laughs> <laughs> but, um... Fair weather fan. Yeah. But anyway, the fact is that it was just... 
it was so brilliant because you didn't care about anything that was happening outside the top like five or six. You were watching LMP1 at Lamar duke it out in a yeah. properly good way. And it was amazing. And then Audi won. Just. With what <laughs> with, with what with with who they were actually the underdog in at Le Mans, which is Audi are never the the underdog, really. No, you can't write them well, you couldn't write them off, could you? Ever. What was the gap out? It was something like, like it was tiny. It was, it was, it was like, eleven or thirteen seconds, but I never remember off the top of my head, 13. unfortunately. It was not a lot. Yeah, thirteen seconds after twenty four hours. Which is okay. We've had Grand Prix won by larger margins. Mm. Absolutely. Which, yeah, with fair regularity, actually. So. Mm. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's why I think 2011. It just stands out because it was a proper. It, you know, as, as much as we've had the arguments before about you know the the GTE class and the uh, the fighting LMP2. Realistically, LMP1 or the top class at Le Mans is what people go for. Yeah, it. realistically, and that's why. I as think... much as the GC racing is quite good, um, and obviously is still uh, there's a very very high caliber of driver in there as well. Um, realistically, you're going to see the spaceships that are LMP1 cars, hmm. and that and back then that was. Let's face it. So yeah, when 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 we went in 2015, that was very much sort of my focus. As cool as the Corvettes were, sort of thing. Um, and the Aston Martins looked really nice, and, and the Ferraris sounded quite cool. Realistically, you were there to watch Porsche versus Audi versus Toyota versus kind of Nissan. <laughs> and bike um, When they were running, but that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the bike uh, was running. Yeah, it beat Nissan. Oh, yeah, of course. It did. And that is saying something. All I'm going to say, I'm going to leave that bit for when we talk about 2015. So you can have a go all you want. And of course, I'm going to leave that for, to, for everyone, when we talk about 2015. The great thing about 2011 is that when you go on the Wikipedia page, it has one of the best Le Mans photos ever of the number two Audi leading two like sharks, essentially, which are the two blue Peugeots behind it. It's I love that picture very, very much. Um, let's move. So obviously, that was the last year pre WEC as well. So everything changed after that. Peugeot pissed off because they rage quit because they possess all losers. Uh, that's 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 the uh, the line I've always gone with, but it's not necessarily the fact. Anyway, WC comes along. Toys journalism come. there. Say again. Quality journalism there. You know it. Um, <laughs> but anyway, Peugeot leave. Um, Toys come in. WEC begins. New era. Crowds begin to come back to the regular series, which was amazing to watch. Uh, few years passed by, Toyota are sort of now up to speed. They're with Audi, who have had their diesels, um, let's say, let's say the diesel wasn't quite the in-fuel by then, in terms of the raw pace it could have over a petrol. Uh, the hybrid technologies come, come, come leaps and bounds. We've seen different uh, different uh, variations of how to do it. Sort of, they had the supercapacitors from Toyota, you had the flywheel from Audi, you had the batteries from Porsche. It all culminates in 2015. Guys, go for it. Yeah. This is why I think me and Chris kind of, one of the reasons that me and Chris picked this as kind of the race, uh, our favourite race. Because although it was slightly more clear-cut, it wasn't quite as close, um, it's certainly the sort of the tech 
technological side of it, of you had the most, in LMP1 at least, you had the most manufacturers of any year kind of up to that point, mm -hmm. or, or since, really. Um, and it all sort of, that was, as Le Mans often is in endurance, that's the big one. That's the one that they re all really wanted to stamp their dominance on. Well, if they can win Le Mans, as it has been for its entire history, if you can win Le Mans, you're going to sell cars yeah. off of the back of that. Well, we were, they we were, were at college at uh, university at the time, weren't we? And we were all really yes, excited yeah. about this year. Yeah, I mean, going... Yeah, how in, was um, it being there, uh, Sean? How was it, like, feeling the atmosphere while we were there? It was great, because I was a huge bike collars fan. You were mad about the Nissans. I'd already... No, I think I'd already sat in the Nissan at Silverstone, and it was great. Uh, I was also a big Toyota, mm. Toyota fan, although Toyota weren't that brilliant um, initially because the TSO 50 was... Was it the 50? I think it was the 50. Uh, I think it was the 50, yeah, when um, we were there. And it, was, it wasn't as brilliant. Hang on. 15, 12, 13, 14. No, it's the 40. Last year, the 40. I think. Yeah, you are right, yeah. Um... But regardless, it was... Yeah, I'm looking at the results now. It's TSO 40. I was just a Toyota fan. Uh, you had some people who were idiots who had supported Audi and Porsche. Um... Well, well, what? <laughs> I always like... I like Porsches. But regardless... I'm someone I've like, grown up supporting driving the Audi. I think that's fair enough. <laughs> that's not the point. <laughs> you, you know, you, 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 you're just glory supporting there. <laughs> the R fifty the R eighteen Oh yeah, of course, yeah. The R eighteen yeah, is not the R fifteen plus. <laughs> but anyway. Uh the fact is you had <laughs> everyone was again, they were focusing in on on LMP one. It was like who the I mean yeah, obviously by collars weren't gonna win, but that's not the point. Um I could always dream. And um And Rebellion of course. Rebellion had the beautiful R one. Yes, because this was the I can't remember if it was new for 14 or 15, but it was the f initial version of the Orica, o what then became the Orica O5s. So I seem to remember Rebellion commissioned the car from Orica, That's and then right. after a year of exclusive use, Orica then made a P2 variant of, variant of it. That's right, yeah, they made the o the O5 and then the O7. They're, they're, they're sort yeah, of which... gen genetically linked. Yes, because they're the same tubs, I think. More or less. Yeah. Because the O5 was a nice-looking car, actually. I quite but, like the O5. But nowhere near as good-looking as the R1. No? Which I think did have Peugeot headlights at one point, actually. That's not the point. <laughs> um, <laughs> but anyway, I mean, oh, then again, the Lolas were also pretty... We're getting, we're getting distracted. The fact is that 2015 <laughs> had basically everything in LMP1 was liked by somebody and excited by... You know, so, there was something to get excited for. And then... Then Nissan decided not to do as well as they wanted, didn't they, Chris? I mean, look, right, before we start bashing Nissan, right, what, let's what, just understand more, more than usual. what they tried to actually do. Right? They... right, look, they went and thought, right, we don't want to copy the Germans because they're all doing the same thing. You know, By, you know, It works, but they're doing all the same thing. And then they took this design and they went, we'll have a crack at this. And they went for front engine, front wheel drive, everything at the front, nothing at the back. Let's create big venturi tunnels. Let's get all the downforce underneath the car so we haven't got any drag. Where's the, so uh, we can how, much horsepower did they say they how much horsepower did whatever. they say they'd have? 
well, I think they said they quoted 1,500, but I think they only ever ran at about 800 because the rear hub motors never worked. And then the funny thing was that they had to run the rear motors anyway, yeah. even though they weren't working, because they had to. Yeah. <laughs> they to. were told, no, you have to have them there because of weight issues. So, you know, the ACO could have been a bit nicer. <laughs> Yeah, um, you're playing with the ACO. I mean, look, I mean I, could have actually come to the party prepared. Well, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, there is. As well. I mean, it's really annoying because it's really annoying because when you look at the car and you look at what they did and what they tried to do and you look at the engineering behind it, was, it, it was really interesting, wasn't it? That's one word. Really good. Interesting. It got you thinking. Got you looking at it. No, but it was totally different. You go back to this whole spaceship thing, and you looked at it and go, "All right, it looks like a shoe a little bit." <laughs> Um, but you look at it, and you go, <laughs> it does look like a shoe, I'll admit, it looks like a shoe. It does. But you look at it, and you go, whoa, as an engineering marvel, it's fantastic. Uh, yeah, I think because that was it, wasn't it? We looked at it as radical. engineering students and thought, that's quite a good, it's a different solution to the same problem. Yeah. To be honest, I'm still very annoyed with Nissan about it. Not that the fact that they built it, the fact that they only ever ran it once. At the wrong yeah, time. I think with more development, it could have been quite good. Especially because they never ran it. Where they a lot of their testing from memory was Kota. It's ridiculous. And they skipped the WEC round at Kota. You would have thought by that point they would have yeah, they got it dialed in. Yeah. But no, they. it was a one and done, and it was not a good one. Do you remember, the, do you remember their, their, uh, do you remember their adverts for it? When they were around Kota, when they were like blasting past LMP2 cars. But in real life, that didn't happen really at all. <laughs> I didn't no, know. They were outqualified by the leading LMP2. Yeah. It invoked a 110% rule that I did not know existed <laughs> at Lamar. <laughs> <laughs> It, it's, um, it, is, yeah. it is frustrating because I get the feeling that if they'd have stuck around and actually had a proper go at it for the rest of the season, got their problems fixed, got this 1500 brake horsepower. Yeah, they might have been able mode. to get in the mix and yeah. provide some interesting races. And yeah, that's why I'm annoyed with Nissan to this day about it. Well, I, I remember at the time, because I think Toyota were pushing towards 1000 horsepower by then. Um, and Audi were famously on a lower megajoule class in their hybrids, and they were sort of around the 800s, and Porsche was somewhere in the middle. And then Nissan came up with thing with 1500. I was like, how the hell are any is anything going to stay in front of it on the Morzan straight? I was thinking, yeah, like lap one, you know, sure they might qualify. I thought this before the race, obviously, and before they effed up. But I thought, I thought, you know, even if they're like seventh on the grid. Nothing is going to be in front of them by the time they get down to uh, Arnage. No, and no. especially when you look at it, it is quite a. I know that none of the um, LMP1 cars are particularly bulky, but it's a particularly low drag design, isn't it? On it's the tiny. With a really long front end and very, very slippery. So you would have thought, actually, on the straights, if it did have that power advantage, and it and it would have been very, very fast down the Morzan, well, especially the Venturi tunnels. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Do you know what I didn't realise? I was watching a video about it. Uh, and I didn't realise this, but the diffuser stops at the front wheels. What? Yeah. Yeah, but do you know that it's got that massive T-tray front splitter? Yeah. yeah. It stops diffusing the air at the end of the front wheels. Why? Oh. And what, uh, why? Well, I, I mean, know. there's nothing behind it, so why exactly. not? <laughs> exactly. So what they did is they, they, to get rid of this air that's now underneath the front of the car, 
that's what the Venturi tunnels were for, is to then channel the air away from the car. So it's oh, just, right, it's I see. So the car big. was basically a giant aerodynamics experiment. Well, it's, it's a yeah, funnel. Yeah. It's a funnel, really, isn't it? Yeah. But I, so, but, yeah, most of just, that bodywork underneath the car was just to get the air out. But, yeah, going back to, going back to the actual... Huh. That's interesting. I didn't realise that. Yeah. yeah, I didn't realise it until I watched the video. Um, but, no, if you, like... If they could have got it working, you sat there going, they've got a package that could be a surprise. But mm. they never stuck around, and you just kind of get the feeling that with the way that the event unfolded and the way that Nissan didn't do what they should have done and got cold feet, you sort of get the feeling that there was a missed opportunity. And I'd love them to just run it again. Not necessarily race it, but take it to Goodwood or something and be like, look, it failed, but here it is. Yes, it is. Oh, me and my it partner kind of. have a theory about where that car is. <laughs> we, we all know Nissan, uh, I think a lot of people have seen it, have their sort of facility where they've got all their old race cars sat basically in storage, haven't they? Yeah. yeah. Mm, I yeah. think it's sat in a quiet corner of that, surrounded by things like the, um, I can't remember the name of it, but the Group C car that got pole in, I think, 1989. Some of the... Um, Would that probably be the like, R89C then? Yeah, that's the one. That's the one. And things like, um, you know, a couple of Super GT winning Skylines, a couple of things like that, and is told daily that it brings dishonour to its ancestors. <laughs> <laughs> well, it just, it just gets glared at by the other cars going, you shouldn't be. Yes. <laughs> exactly <laughs> that. You, you see, that that you, is, I think. Yeah, you see like, the Godzilla R31 just going, no, you should. 32. <laughs> Whatever, same car. Um, no, very different. Yeah, no, that's, it's not, really not. that's not the point. But it just just looks at it going. No, <laughs> you don't. You, you should not be here. Uh, and then you see the R the R three nine one going. Oh, I was faster than you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah the R three nine one wasn't even that successful a car. Was no, it? no, it wasn't. I mean, it looked good. <laughs> but the point that is, the point is, uh, before the race, two thousand fifteen was. Really, 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 really exciting. Yeah, yeah really, really. I think the WEC seemed to be... It seemed like the only way it could go from there was up, and yeah. then between Nissan getting cold feet and Dieselgate, it kind of Imploded. robbed us of the WRC that could have... WEC <laughs> that could almost, have been. Mate. Almost. Yeah, that's that's the point. Is that the pro I have such mixed feelings about 2015, because it was, going into it, an amazing year, but... Everything went downhill from there. Yeah, it's kind of that was the peak, and now we're coming back down again, aren't we? Which is a shame because it is. It was a great race. It was really good. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was my first Le Mans there, um, and it was yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah, I think it's a medical point. You look at it and you go, and you're like. You've got four or five manufacturers. You've got four or five manufacturers in GTE. You know, you've got all these privateer LMPs trying their damn hardest to to win their class. And you sat there going, "Whoa, this is fantastic!" And then it all unravels in the in the space of two years. Yeah, thanks, Nissan. Yeah. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Although you say two years, we've got 2017 there, and that was the year I was going to suggest. Yeah, yeah go on yes. now. Let's discuss 2017. Uh, so, I think 2017, I, it strikes me as, it stands out from a lot of the others of this era, 
because Le Mans had been becoming a 24-hour sprint race, let's face it, hadn't it? For The cars have been getting more and more reliable. We've been getting more and more racing on the track, really, hadn't we, at Le Mans? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then 2017 was a Le Mans of old. Because it was, in LMP1, it was a race that nobody wanted to win. <laughs> now... 2017. Let's just start. Let's start with lap one, shall we? Let's was that the, good was place that the, to start. Sorry, was that the year that DC Tracker Trek Racing nearly won the race? Yes. 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 And only finished one lap down on the winning LMP1 car, which, I mean, that was impressive enough, especially when you consider that LMP2, they were with brand new cars, and it was pretty much about as open a field in LMP2 as I think there has ever been. I don't think anyone knew who was going to win that one. Well, we knew it was going to be an Orica. Yes, much like the virtual Le Mans. Yeah. We know it's going to be an Orica, but nobody knew which Orica. The thing was... I mean, you could Again, now, this was when we were sort of... I think, had we just finished university or was it around that sort of time? Um, yeah. And we were in, like, you know, spitting venom at these new LMP2 cars because they were uh, of the four chassis which you're allowed to have. They had a stock Gibson engine. Uh, they were, you know, they just they were unnecessarily fast. And yeah, I'm still not the greatest fan of these P2 regs, but I will admit that, especially 2017, they did provide a very level playing field. Of course for the they teams. did. Of course they did. But it was still the fact that. We didn't like the concept before the race. Um, but then what happened is that lap one occurred. And we had the top six LMP1 cars all go flying up the hill. The two two Toyotas, the two... Por- no, three Toyotas, sorry. Uh, two Porsches and the Bicoles. Uh, the Bicoles is on the on the back of them, uh, going on, on, onto the Mulsanne. And uh, it goes wide. And uh, it hits a piece of Porsche debris from a race beforehand. And... Uh, Breaks its radiator, its turbo, um, and some and a lot of piping. I was really angry, and I'm still really bloody angry. <laughs> at 2017. Were you a bit bitter there, Sean? No, were I'm not bitter. bitter. <laughs> I'm furious <laughs> because they were lasted seven more laps, and in that time, with no cooling system, they still went faster than all the MP2 cars. They should have won the race. <laughs> Oh. Yeah, and the reason Sean thinks they should have won the race is Toyota and they were Porsche reliable. Then... They were reliable that year. <laughs> yeah, Toyota and Porsche then tried to take it in turns to throw Lamar away, oh. and we had a um, Toyota. We had Porsches and Toyotas breaking down, needing lots of hours in the pits. This is what I mean by a very old school Lamar. It wasn't a race where they were able to push as hard as they had been in the previous years. Because I think they'd... Um, it was hot, wasn't it? That year? It was hot, but I think they'd also changed the regulations. And both Porsche and Toyota were pushing their cars and their technology to the absolute limit. Yeah. And I think both of them just overstepped the mark a little. Was this the year when the uh, hybrid power was the same as the engine power? So 500 horsepower each? Yes, I believe it was. I think And... It was also a year of quite high drama because for a brief while we had Toyota leading, looking like they were going to do well. And then one of the weirdest incidents I've ever seen where a driver in orange overalls 
gives a thumbs up to the Toyota waiting at the end of the pit lane with the red light on because of the safety car. The Toyota driver, bear in mind, there's only so much you can see out of these LMP1 cars, and it's honestly not a lot, mm. mistakes the man in the orange overalls for a marshal and goes, then has to stop because he sees the lights still red, and basically overcooks the clutch. <laughs> which I know has received much mockery over the years from people, but they're not designed to do that many standing starts in a row. And it, it essentially goes to why I think both Toyota and Porsche were having so many issues that year, is they both pushed the envelope to the absolute maximum they could. It was also because... And I think that is something to appreciate about that race, is they were both giving all that they could yeah it was also the win. it was also the case that because audi had left the year before they were desperate to sort of keep the image of lmp1 intact and yeah mm. because that that it did definitely take a knock with when audi left let's face it because they were sort of the bigger um part of it uh, for a long long time mm. they were the the car to beat at the moment was yeah. the audi also, Toyota had a brand new car, TS50. Yes. Yes. And it was kind of who uh, who was going to step up and then take up that um, that top spot now that Audi had gone, sort of thing. So, yeah, I think it was um, very... Well, it was it was very, very interesting to see the just the, the implosion of LMP1 in that race. Every time I... Because I think I was at work for most of that weekend so i had it kind of trickling in of what was happening through um through you guys and also through uh like on my phone watching social media and things like that when i could well what you got, um, what you got past me swearing yes essentially yeah there's a lot of messages about like that sort of thing uh, and then we just didn't hear from sean for like five days um as he went into a meltdown but um, but yeah, no, that's, it was that's uh, standard Le Mans, everyone. Yeah, that's pretty much <laughs> all that happens. Sean gets excited. Sean be- starts to believe that something good might happen, then it goes wrong. And then yeah, and then <laughs> radio silence. Um, so we'll we'll check on you in a week, and hopefully you'll be okay then. Sort what, of thing. When boy college win tomorrow? Well, if they, I'll, I'll be totally honest. Based on what you were saying prior to this recording, I don't think we'll be able to get any any sense out of you for a week if they win. I, I, I hope that they do exactly the same thing as they did in 2017. Somebody touches them, they go wide, and then break like the front left axle or something like that, and spend about five hours in the pits. What? So I sulk for the whole race? Yeah, because <laughs> that's more entertaining. But yeah, going back to 2017, so. We've discussed LMP1. But LMP2, what's the story? Well, LMP2, yeah. It, we had a hugely open LMP2 class. And for hours and hours of the race, we had an LMP2 car leading the Lamar 24 hours. And I remember from the commentary at the time, no one was even quite sure what what the podium ceremony would look like mm. if a P2 car... Because while the Porsche was there and it was chasing, based on everything else that had happened in that race, there was no guarantee that it was going to run trouble-free and well, catch the DC Chan Orica. That Porsche had already had a problem. I can't remember what it was. It was either, it was either a crash I think it was or... the hybrid motor at the front. I think they had to 
semi disassembled at least one of the Porsches I remember having a hybrid the, the issue. Fact is that the fact because there were so many problems between Toyota and Porsche that we we lost track of who did what. And that's that's where we ended up sort of and then, then we ended up on our, our calculators going, How much faster is this Porsche than the the the, uh, the LMP twos? How many laps do they have left? And it was it was getting that sort of touch and go. Like what if they had any problem whatsoever? I mean did, put it this way, so LMP one the lead, the winning Porsche did 367 laps. Mm-hmm. The P2 car of Jackie Chan DC Racing that was leading the race for a long time and eventually finished second did 366. The next LMP2 car did 363. There was a bigger gap between first and second in LMP2 than there was between the winning P1s and P2s. Mm. Yeah. I think that's unprecedented Which, in the modern era. Definitely did for the DC Jackie Chan Racing Car develop a problem later on? I think that's that the rebellion. No, you're I think thinking that was the rebellion that got disqualified. Ah, right. had, uh, fourth place overall and third in class. Where they had to keep knocking the starter motors to get it to work. And then they had to they drilled a hole, <laughs> which wasn't allowed, therefore they got disqualified, which is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. But... <laughs> Well, they weren't allowed to do it, so... Yeah, to be fair, they did break the rules. That's so unfor- <laughs> no one told them. Unfortunately, that is on them. I think it probably was specifically I, written. I doubt it specifically says, you can't drill a hole to knock a starter motor to get it to go again. Yes, but if we wrote everything like that into the technical rules, they'd be like <laughs> war and peace. I mean, they probably are already, but that's not the point. Uh, they're, they're not actually that long. I read them occasionally. <laughs> I can so glad you just believe that. Bedtime reading. Oh, yeah. What? Okay. Technical regulations. No, no one's going to disagree with, with, with that idea. <laughs> they're, they're not hard to find. Do you know, I can imagine. They're in they're dual language, obviously, because <laughs> they're in French and English. <laughs> Do you know, I can imagine Al if he ever if he ever had like kids or anything like that going down the line. Just imagine now, kids. Let's all sit down and read the ACO regulations for 2025. <laughs> yeah, because I'm sure the 2025 rules will be very interesting. Imagine Al's a teacher. <laughs> be interesting to see what. Oh god. Oh, god. That would be the lesson you bunk off, wouldn't it? Oh. Imagine... Actually, no, be quite, I suppose his lesson would be quite good because he'd be just like, right, and today, class, we're going to watch the last hour of the 2017 Le Mans. Now, please yeah, tell me what went wrong. <laughs> no, and the last hour is where we get one of the other great things about 2017, which is the GT battle. Yes, which I totally which... cared about at the time. I mean, I genuinely did because I've been a lifelong fan of Aston Martin at Le Mans. I was busy sulking. Yeah, so Sean at this point was miserable because the bicoles had caught fire. Well, no, it hang exploded. On fire. It had, yeah, grenaded itself. But for people that actually were still watching the race, we had a hugely close GT battle. So at the end of the race, we had three cars still on the lead lap. And the next three were only a lap down, to be fair. So we'd had a hugely close GTE battle. And on the penultimate lap of the race, we had the number 97 Aston Martin and the number 63 Corvette literally wheel to wheel. As they came out of Mulsan Corner, you had the Aston run wide, the Corvette tries to go up the inside. And if you watch it on YouTube, you see the back end of the Aston come out and clip the Corvette. They were going for it that hard Mm. at the end of 24 hours. Mm. So add to all the drama happening everywhere else, you had the GTs. 
going at each other like it well like it was the end of a sprint race because they couldn't do anything else when you've got that little gap between you at the end of 24 hours you have to push yeah, really realistically you don't you yeah absolutely still a race at the end of the day isn't it yeah and it's potentially one of the most dramatic finishes I've seen I can't remember if the Corvette had any <laughs> rear end damage from the crash with the Aston or collision with the Aston Didn't but I know later no, the puncture, I think, came... The Corvette ran off at one of the more shots on chicanes, hmm. which I think then gave it the puncture, and on the final lap, it went off at the Dunlop curve and let the Chip Ganassi forward through into second. Yeah, that's what I remember. But yeah, it was one of the most dramatic... I mean, if we go back to where we started this with 2011 and the chase between the... Um, the Audi and the Peugeot. This was the same kind of deal, but this time they weren't separated by 10 seconds. They were separated by a fag packet. Yeah. There the was thing... nothing between these cars. The thing was, as well in GT that year, they also had Porsche, Ferrari, and, as you say, Ford. All of them were sort of in the in the mix. Like When, when the end oh, results yeah. came, there was a lap between all of them. Yeah. Uh, there was... Within one lap of the leader, there was a car from every manufacturer represented in GTE that year. At least one. At least yes. one car. So we had Aston Martin, Ford, Corvette, Ferrari. Porsche. Uh, Ford, Corvette, Porsche, Ferrari as the end result. So we pretty much had all the manufacturers one after the other at the end of this race. It was one of the closest GTE races I think there's ever been. Yeah, it's got to be up there. So yeah, and that's why my vote goes to 2017, is it just had everything going on. Oh, you changed your mind now? It's not 11. No, I, cha I changed my mind when we were having the pre-conversation, ah. didn't I remember? That's why we mentioned 2017 in this. I thought you said it was both. God, come on, John. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, the problem is that we're going to have a wider discussion about, because it's already taken like nearly 40 minutes, but... Um, we were going to discuss the whole decade because there are other highlights in that that 10-year sort of gap from 7 to 17. 2007, Aston Martin came fifth overall in GT1 because of the biggest rainstorm I've ever seen in my life at Le Mans. It was also my first Le Mans I saw, which was good. Yes, yeah, yeah. so it was the first Le Mans I'd ever been to was um, 2007. My God, there was so much rain that year. <laughs> like Everything was soaked. It was also a good year because of Peugeot, because that, that that red and black 907, it was it was gorgeous. Beautiful car. The R10 was um, second year, and it was at peak power. It was great. Uh, you had actual privateers back then. It was it was just cool. We had Pescarolos, Courage, and other things like that. Lola, Zytec, names that are all that are all gone now, which is a shame. Uh, then you have other years. You had 2009. That was a, a good year for lots of reasons. Uh, the fact is, you can go to, you can make a case for why a race was good at Le Mans basically every single year that 2007 to 2017. You can say these were really good. This was a really good highlight. This was a reason to have watched that race. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd agree with you for certain there. Which is rare because we rarely agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, which yeah, which means that although. We we like to discuss why the WEC has failed um, and why Le Mans LMP1 is going away. Uh, 
and you know we're we're, we're skeptical about the new uh, what's it called? I've it's, it's hyper LMP high well hyper car and LMDH. That's it. Um, Le Mans hyper. That's the word. Uh, they should they should have called it LMP hyper, but that's not the point. Um, we're hopeful for that new class and series, but it won't ever be the same. No. I don't think it's going to get the manufacturer backing, is it, to be quite as good as that that era. I think of... it will, but it won't be the, it, it won't be the same as their sort of ground up cars with privateers, with storylines of of emerging technology and you know pushing the boundaries of what's physically possible. I don't think it's going to be. That anything. was the thing as well, really, isn't it? In that time period that we're talking about between '07 and '17, the cars, the actual development of the of not just the cars themselves, but the, the hybrid technology in the cars was phenomenal. Hmm. I mean, it just uh, if we look at like we were saying about 2015, just the different methods of the hybrid system in LMP1, there was like well, four different ideologies behind it. We had the supercapacitor, we had the flywheel, we had batteries, um, general batteries, yeah, and then and whatever this uh, had. Just, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and the new gerbil didn't work. So who knows what that had? Well, they had a, um, a little gerbil, didn't it, in the in the back wheels? Sort of. Yes, but I think the gerbil they forgot to feed, and that was one of the problems, wasn't it? So, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and it, it, and you look at like just even just that year for the technology side of it, and that was pushing not only the boundaries of what was phys physically possible in racing, but a lot of that technology is now actually applicable to road cars as well. Well, the hypercars, at least. Probably, arguably, because it was... Well, yeah, but that was... That was I, I think probably because it was so successful at Le Mans of l running for that long with no little to no problems in a racing situation where, let's face it, you're never going to be in a racing situation for 24 hours unless you are at Le Mans or Daytona. Or Nürburgring. Um, well, or the Nürburgring. But in a road car, you're never in that sort of situation for that long, let's mm. face it. Um, so if it can work for them, it can work to get you to the shops. <laughs> let's face it. Um, and I think that's a big part of it as well, is just the... Uh, the technology side of it. That's why I started watching Le Mans, really. I'll be totally honest. Before that, I, it was quite cool. And you'd play the cars on Gran Turismo and stuff because they were on there. And they were very, very fast. Things like the Peugeots and the earlier Audis and stuff like that. Group C cars. Um, yeah, even the Group C, yeah, the group C cars. Obviously, that was uh, sort of before I was really aware of sports car racing generally. I mean, that's um, before any of us were born, to be fair. Well, so. Yeah, exactly. Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm the same age as the Peugeot 905. Yeah, Sean is Are old, you? remember. Which variant? The early 905s or the late ones? Uh, hang on. The... I think it's the Evo 2. Okay. Not that weird one that has, like, an F1 front. No, I'm... Like, I'm, I'm, from, I'm from... Although they never raced that one. I'm from 1992, aren't I? So... Ah, I forget you're old. <laughs> Anyway, but the fact is that we, as we discuss with our different series of motorsports, um, F1, we don't all universally love and watch F1. We don't all love and watch Formula E. We don't all love and watch um, some random GT thing that Ch which Al follows. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Am I known for being the odd one? Yes. <laughs> um, but we all, at least 
for the most years love and watch and try and follow Le Mans and endurance racing, LMP1 sort of stuff. Yeah, I mean, even if, I'll, I'll be totally honest, I don't really watch much World Endurance Championship. Not, any, I will not watch anymore. Le Mans. Not anymore, you don't. Well, no. No, if that's you, true. You used to, back when we were at university. I did. I did. We went Silverstone, didn't we? That was very good. But the fact is, we yeah, all... the bike holes did. Um, did the bike holes finish that one? Probably not. Um, no, I can't remember. It probably didn't. No, actually, but, no, um, I don't know. It's fifty. No, you used to watch quite regularly. But yeah, the fact is, it's 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 the one category we all sort of like. If if something's happened, we're all like, "Ooh, that's interesting," or "Ooh, I, I I've heard about this," or it's it, or this this might be exciting. You know, it's it's something that we sort of share collectively, and it's. It's a shame that, um, you know, it's going to come to an end sooner or later. But before then, we have the virtual race today at the time of recording. Um, so, yeah. So uh, that's going to be cool. And we've got Le Mans... Pro the uh, Le Mans the COVID Le Mans. Yeah. <laughs> and then Le Mans proper in September. And then that might be... Well, no, because we've got next year, we've got the LMP1 still, don't we? I think. Uh... I don't remember. There might be a couple of the privateers under grandfathering regulation, but it. Or no, did they push hypercar back? I can't. I can't that's that's what. That's what. That's what I've forgotten. It might be 2022 now. It might not be. But I either way, probably need. It's so disorganized. Well, it, well, no, no, because the because the Glickenhaus is basically ready. True. I imagine Toyota's probably mostly ready. And the Bicolors is definitely ready. Ready. They have a car. Yep. It's going to be great. Um, the Persia won't be ready. But it might be for 22. Anyway, but that's the point. The fact yeah. is, we've had a golden decade of endurance racing and Le Mans racing, and that's been some of our highlights. And long may it continue, or at least in some form or another, because, you know, at the end of the day, Le Mans 24 hours, you look at different eras, different rule sets, it always produces something interesting. Yeah, exactly. Exactly that. So just a good race, generally, Le Mans. No matter what, actually, what classes are, are in it, it's always going to be quite a good race. Any closing thoughts, Al, Chris? I just think they just need to bring manufacturers in. They just need to do as much as they can to try and keep the cost down, but bring in manufacturers, like they did in 20, 2015. In fairness, that's <laughs> going to take a while because manufacturers aren't coming back for a while. They didn't lower the cost in 2015, Chris. <laughs> no, they, did. <laughs> no, no, they no, just no, made it interesting it. enough. But yeah, manufacturers are going to take about five or ten years to come back to anything, be it Lamar, Rally, um, F1. It's going to take manufacturers a while to come back to things. Yeah, but, I, I would agree with that. Everything is currently on fire. But the potential is there. <laughs> the groundwork is there. Anyway, okay. that's going to do it for this episode of the Stelvio Chronicles. Um, thank you very much to Al, Chris and Sam for, for joining me in our little history throwback of um, my, my of my, uh, my my worst days. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so when when by college win, t win tomorrow at the time of recording, um, in the virtual Le Mans. I, I, and I wake up yeah. from my coma a week later. You'll <laughs> know if Bicols have won, not just because of 
stuff on social media, but the next podcast from Stelvio Automotive will just be an hour of Sean screaming. <laughs> <laughs> well, like it was last night when they got pop. <laughs> Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I muted you for half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to do it for Stephanie Baltimore. Thank you very much for listening. Follow us on social media. Um, Chris is already gone by the looks of it. Um, take care and goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. <laughs>